The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Dan Scheiman. He is the Bird Conservation Director at Audubon, Arkansas, based in Little Rock. Dr. Scheiman has a Bachelor of Science degree from Cornell University, a master's from Eastern Illinois University, and a PhD from Purdue. He and his co-workers advocate for birds, restore wildlife habitat, and help Arkansans improve their local environments. He has been birding for over 30 years. Welcome, Dr. Scheiman. My pleasure. Thank you for helping to cover this issue. Yeah, and you know, our listeners might think it odd that this is a show about food and agriculture. Why on earth are we talking to somebody from the Audubon Society? And I think that it's important for us to link people who are interested in food and how it's produced with how those methods of production impact birding populations. So why don't we just start by, let me know why you became interested in birds. How did that happen for you? Well, I've long been interested in science and nature when I was a kid. And uh, when I was 11, I went to a relative's house in Pennsylvania. They had a feeder with chickadees on it. I thought that was really neat. So when I got home, my parents got me a feeder and a field guide and binoculars, and it blossomed from there. That's great. Well, what do you see right now as the biggest challenges facing our birds? Well, climate change is definitely the biggest threat to birds worldwide. And then after that, it's habitat loss and fragmentation, it's invasive species, and it's widespread use of pesticides. Mm -hmm. And you've got a great talk online where you show maps of how the country has changed with regard to the loss of wild spaces, especially for that urban sprawl, which affects migratory birds. And I thought that was so interesting how when migratory birds are flying over they are looking for places for water and food. And then you show this bird's eye view of a suburban landscape where all you've got are lawns and very little wild or native habitat. So how many birds have we lost as a result of that? Well, a recent study from the Cornell Lab for Ornithology revealed that we've lost about 3 billion birds since the 1970s. And in part, that's because we have degraded their habitat through urban and agricultural development. But at Audubon, we believe that working lands can work for birds and people, and we believe that everybody, whether you have a 1,000 acres, 10 acres, a suburban yard, or just an apartment, you can do something for birds, to help birds, in your own environment. Mm-hmm. I became interested in Arkansas Audubon because you and I both live in the Midwest. We share the Mississippi River watershed, and we are hot spots for genetically modified corn, 
soybeans in Arkansas, you've got cotton. And these seeds have been genetically modified so that the plants can withstand the spraying of an increasing number of herbicides. So we started out with glyphosate-resistant or Roundup-ready crops. And now, because weeds have developed resistance, we now have these herbicide-resistant crops that are resistant to glyphosate, as well as 2,4-D and dicamba. And I was attracted to articles that you've got on the Arkansas page that talk about citizen scientists and being advocates for being aware of recognizing damage specifically from dicamba volatility. Tell me about how you became interested in dicamba and what you've seen in Arkansas. Well, dicamba started making waves in the agricultural community in 2017 with the release of those genetically modified crops and the widespread spraying of that herbicide that started causing damage far beyond what anyone anticipated. But for Audubon, I became aware of that in late 2018 at an environmental policy summit where we had uh, weed scientists talk about dicamba. And then I started engaging with the plant board and getting our citizens to go to public hearings and speak up against this herbicide. And I made the prediction that the widespread use of dicamba would cause landscape-scale damage to bird habitat. So to test that prediction, I started a community science project in 2019 and 2020 to get volunteers to look for signs of damage on native plants on public lands across eastern Arkansas. And what kind of data have you been able to collect? Well, Audubon and volunteers found 363 locations across 20 Arkansas counties where we saw apparent dicamba symptoms on a wide variety of native plants, from elms to oaks to red buds to lots of other plants, poison ivy, sumac, pepper vine. I mean, so many plants are affected by dicamba. Mm. And, you know, I think you make a really good point about helping people recognize the damage, because I think to an untrained eye, we may see a leaf that looks, it's got this characteristic cupping. And to the untrained eye, it may not look like anything more than, well, I guess I've got a virus or a pest, or maybe the weather was bad, or we don't know how to connect those dots. And from a nutritionist perspective, I actually went to a farmer friend's farmland, and she showed me dicamba drift loss to her grapevines. And she said, you know, I'm not going to get any grapes this year. And then I've seen damage on tomatoes. And it's like, well, we're not going to have the tomato crop that we wanted. And I start looking at this from this perspective of, wait a second, grapes and tomatoes, those prevent cancer and heart disease. We need to be careful about not only the birds that we're affecting, but the humans too. And so we see how we're all connected in this web of life. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that 96% of birds feed on insects. And we have this idea that I, I think we're sort of bug averse. You know, you see a bug, it's like automatically you reach for a poison to spray it and kill it. How do you teach people to have a renewed respect for insects? Well, if people really love birds and want to feed birds, they should plant native plants because native plants 
are food for the insects that our native birds need. And as you said, 96% of terrestrial birds feed their young insects, not fruit, not seeds. So if you want to feed a chickadee, you plant an oak because oaks support several hundred species of caterpillars alone, never mind other kinds of insects that birds eat. And you mentioned that caterpillars in particular are important for baby birds, I guess because they've got those soft bodies. Yeah, caterpillars are just soft packets of protein and fat and sugar for birds. Mm. And oak trees in particular, you mentioned being important for certain bird species. And I believe you mentioned earlier that oaks are one of the trees that are susceptible to dicamba drift damage. Definitely. I have seen multiple oak species that show symptoms all across eastern Arkansas, and the oak leaves form this characteristic boxing glove shape when they cup downwards. And I've seen some oak trees that are in pretty poor shape, and I wonder when an oak leaf is showing symptoms like that, is that something that a caterpillar would feed on? And then how many years in a row can a tree be exposed to dicamba and survive? We just don't know. Yeah. I know that I have been to tree symposia here in Missouri, and the thinking is that we will see progressive damage, and then ultimately we're going to be losing these trees. So I think having this conversation now is really important. I think we need a really good way to be able to all recognize what this drift looks like. Do you have images where people can learn Yeah, at Audubon Arkansas website, ar.audubon.org slash dicamba, there is a report that I've written from our community science monitoring, and it includes numerous photos that show dicamba symptoms on native plants. And also the Prairie Rivers Network, based in Illinois, they have a page dedicated to herbicide symptoms on plants. Okay, I'll make sure and provide that link to our listeners so that we can all become better citizen scientists. And I think it's a really terrific method of getting more people involved to really see their environment, especially their local environments. As COVID-19 has kind of forced us to become all more local, we can maybe serve to protect our local communities a little bit better. One of the other areas that you have looked at is also neonicotinoid seed coatings. And I believe over 90% of our genetically modified corn seeds are also coated with neonicotinoids. But you described in, in an interview with another reporter how widespread these specific compounds are. Can you explain a little bit about the neonicotinoids and the harm to birds? Neonicotinoids are applied to the seed coat. So if there's any spilled seed on the ground and birds eat that seed, they will get poisoned and die. And then when the plant germinates, it takes up that chemical into all of its tissues, from its roots to its shoots to its leaves to its pollen, so that insects that feed on that will get poisoned and die. The point is to make that plant insect-proof, but then you're going to kill all of the beneficial insects that you want to promote. So if someone buys a plant from wherever and they're hoping that this is going to feed monarchs, but 
it has neonicotinoids in it, then they're going to be doing harm to monarchs. So it's up to us to be informed consumers to ask questions about what the plants have been sprayed with, what chemicals are on the plants, and to demand these chemical-free plants to help birds, butterflies, and insects. Mm -hmm. It's another reason why I advocate for organic and regenerative farming systems because of the organic systems do not allow the use of neonicotinoids. They do not allow the use of these harmful chemicals. They do not allow the use of genetically modified seed. So in a way, what we choose at the supermarket also impacts birds and insects as well as our own personal health. So that's, again, how we're all connected and why we're having this conversation today. I want to talk about also some of the lawn care systems. You know, I received a copy of an invoice from True Green, which is a lawn care. It used to be called Chemlawn. They changed their name to True Green. It sounds a lot nicer. But I received an invoice looking at the kinds of chemicals that were applied. So in addition to commercial agriculture, we also see these products used on lawns. And so one of their products, True Power, contains 2,4-D and dicamba. And I live in a setting where I'm close to the city, I'm close to campus, and there is pressure to have these, quote-unquote, beautiful green lawns. Some of my neighbors use these products, and I've actually experienced drift within my own little native landscape of native flowers and my vegetable garden. So we can talk about agriculture because that is a huge problem, but I think that we would be remiss if we also didn't talk about just how we care for our lawns. Sure. Well, dicamba is in a lot of lawn weed control products. Now, the application rate of that is far, far smaller than it is in the products sprayed on tops of row crops, but theoretically you could spray too much dicamba-laden product on your lawn and impact the surrounding plants in your garden and affect the value of the bird habitat of your yard. And generally, you really want to reduce all your pesticide use in your yard if you want to make it more bird-friendly because, again, beneficial insects could come in contact with the pesticides or birds could eat insects or rodents that have ingested these pesticides and become poison themselves. Mm -hmm. Let me take one break because we're more than halfway through and remind our guests that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Dr. Dan Scheiman. He is the Bird Conservation Director at Audubon, Arkansas, based in Little Rock. Are other Audubon local locations also getting involved in these types of pesticide campaigns where we're encouraging people not to use these poisons in their native landscapes or on their lawns, as well as getting involved from an agricultural perspective to change the way we grow our food? Well, reducing pesticide use is definitely something that National Audubon is promoting across the country. It's part of our bird-friendly communities campaign. What's done in any one state through one of the state offices, centers, sanctuaries, or chapters does vary by state. depends upon the people that are there, the local issues that need to be addressed, and who else is addressing those issues in those states. So like dicamba is not being addressed by Audubon in other states right now, but 
it is a national issue. There are some national organizations that are definitely taking the lead on this, like the Pesticide Action Network and the Center for Biological Diversity. So I'm working with those organizations to to collaborate on our outreach and our strategy around dicamba. Mm-hmm. And full disclosure, I am on the board of Beyond Pesticides. They are also a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., looking at these national issues as well. And so I can provide links to the organizations that you mentioned, as well as Beyond Pesticides, for people who want to learn more about this. And just changing a few habits can make a huge impact on birds. You know, I want to get back to the issue of insects, because one of the things that I've heard, and I listen very carefully when I hear people speak about insecticides, they'll say, well, they're species-specific. And I don't think that's true. I mean, there might be some that are, but it's my understanding, as you touched on, that there are unintended consequences with these chemicals, and they don't just target one insect. There are unintended species that are also impacted, including insects and also bees and birds. Well, I don't use any pesticides in my yard, but the last time I looked at some pesticide labels, they don't just list one insect. They list a wide variety of insects that are killed by that insecticide. So with the exception of, say, fire ant killer around the Little Rock Audubon Center, I don't really know of any insect-specific pesticides out there. Yeah, I think that's a really important message. Tell me something. Does the Arkansas Audubon Organization look at food production? Do you have any recommendations on food, and have you worked with other food organizations? We have not. Okay, well, this is an invitation for those of us who work with food to also partner with Audubon and see our connections. I was recently at a training for dietitians that Cortiva did. Now, Cortiva is the company that is part of the Dow and DuPont partnership. And their presentation to dietitians included a statement that it's really farmers' fault that if there is any dicamba volatility and drift and unintended consequences on crop loss, that it's because the farmers aren't following the label. But it's my understanding that even if a farmer follows the label to the T, that there will still be volatility. What have you experienced in Arkansas? I have such problems with that argument. First of all, the label, the restrictions on dicamba are so complex and so long, more complex than for any other herbicide because the chemical companies are trying to deal with the issue of drift, that it makes it really hard for the farmers to find the ideal conditions to spray this stuff. And all the weed scientists say that there's been very few days in each growing season where the farmer can spray it according to the label. And the chemical companies get away with it because they say once you buy this product and use it, it's your responsibility. It doesn't matter that the chemistry of this product is flawed. If you use it and off-target damage happens, that's your problem now, not ours. And even though the companies are now trying to settle with the farmers for loss due to dicamba, they're not admitting any guilt by offering $400 million to settle claims of damage due to dicamba. Mm -hmm. I know that the Audubon Society 
is nonpartisan, but you do have a policy section and you do have calls out for a stronger EPA, for example. I know that these issues are quote unquote political and people don't like to get involved and it's created a lot of rifts in many rural communities for sure between farm families where there used to be strength in the coming together of farm families. And now we've got these fights between farmers because of these drift incidences. And I, I believe in Arkansas, there was even a death where one farmer was shot by another over drift damage. What do you say from a policy perspective? You know, what can we as citizens be doing to help protect our food supply, the insects and our birds? Do you have any advice? Well, it's true that birds don't have a party. And if we love birds, we should speak out against policies that harm birds and speak in favor of policies that help birds. And regardless of administration, if we think that policies could be stronger to protect birds, it's our responsibility to speak out and demand more. I mean, I can respect the Arkansas State Plant Board and the restrictions that they have placed on dicamba above the federal label and still push them to do more to help the birds in our environment and to help all of the farmers who are not planting dicamba-tolerant crops. Yeah, and I think that it's so easy for us to feel alone in these fights sometimes and having respected organizations who are aware of the problem and can bring us together, I think we'll be more effective citizens. Yeah, if we want change, we have to demand that change from our lawmakers and regulators. We need to take advantage of the opportunities for public comment periods and to go to the Capitol and speak out. And it's not always easy, not always comfortable. Sometimes it feels like we're not being heard, but our voices do matter. I totally agree. And I love the way you have, as I mentioned earlier, this citizen science awareness so that we can all feel more informed and better able to recognize the damage that we're seeing. Tell me more about the kind of work that you hope to be doing in the coming year, whether it's about herbicides and pesticides or other issues that are facing our shrinking bird communities. Well, I will be staying on top of this dicamba issue, which is an ever-evolving issue at the state and federal level. So what actions Audubon Arkansas needs to take in the coming months is to be determined. But you know, nationally, National Audubon's working on the pesticide stance. Pesticides are a threat both to working lands and to bird-friendly communities. So it's something that we need to address nationally. So there'll be many opportunities for Audubon to speak out against pesticides and to advocate for safer practices on farms and in yards. And I think if we all work to document damage, we will be better informed to make a more confident stand against these products. I want to talk about one of your Arkansas neighbors who I also interviewed, and that was Richard Coy. And he was losing red vine, which was feeding his bee population. And he needed to actually move out of state. So I don't know who is tracking the economic losses to the people of states as they lose producers 
whether it's crop producers or honey producers, there is a real cost to the public in using these kinds of chemicals. I don't know of anyone who is tracking the economic loss from these chemicals. Right. Well, Richard, I believe, probably has data on how much money he was losing with regard to not only his honey sales, but also having to move his bees to two different states in order to avoid the drift. You're unique in that your state has a plant board. In Missouri, just one state to the north, I know that when I went to my State Department of Agriculture to report drift damage from a lawn chemical, I was told that they had cases that they had to investigate. They were backlogged back to 2017. I wonder what it's like in Arkansas. The Arkansas State Planet Board is also backlogged in their case files. They are still working on 2019 case files while processing a long backlog of vegetation tissue samples collected this year by plant board inspectors to deal with issues of pesticide misuse complaints. Driving through Arkansas, this was pre-COVID, I saw signs that said farmers need dicamba. You've probably seen those too. Do you know anything about who's behind those signs and what kind of counter campaigns have you perhaps started yourself through Audubon or that you would like to see? For Audubon, we've mostly our advocacy is online through our website. I have bought some ads in the past for some newspapers in eastern Arkansas. We email our followers who live in eastern Arkansas and ask them to take actions, ask them to be part of the community science monitoring program. But we're not out there buying billboards, and we're certainly not out there illegally attaching anti-dicamba signs to highway signs like some farmers have done. Yeah. Dr. Scheinman, we only have a minute left, and I want to make sure that I give you a little bit of time remaining to share anything that you would like to share about your work with birds over the course of your career, whether it's specifically at Arkansas Audubon or or beyond. Birds are a litmus of the environment, and birds are in decline. That's telling us that there are issues with our environment. And I know it, it can seem overwhelming. These issues seem like they are global and national in scale, but I want your listeners to think about what they can do. What can you do in your own environment? What do you have control over? What changes can you make in your life on your property that will make it safer and healthier for birds and start there? Mm. You want to think global, act local. Yeah. Bringing back an old favorite bumper sticker, right? It's so true. And I think that with COVID-19, It has enabled us to become more local. And for those parents who are looking for curriculum ideas for kids, just like you at 11, you fell in love with birds at a relative's bird feeder, to put a bird feeder in the yard, to go to the Audubon website and learn more about birds and bring children in, I find, and you probably do too with your programming, that children are naturally in love with nature. And so what a great time to get them started working as little citizen scientists. It's great curriculum. Do you have any curriculum online for kids? Not at Audubon, Arkansas's website, but you can look at National Audubon and look for Audubon Adventures. 
Oh, fantastic. All right. I'll provide a link for that too. Well, in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank Dr. Dan Scheiman, Bird Conservation Director at Audubon, Arkansas. He is based in Little Rock, but the work he does extends nationally and internationally. Thank you so much for your time today. Good birding to you all. Mm-hmm.